The European Patent Office podcasts bring you an insight into the technology and innovation shaping the world. Welcome to today's episode of our podcast, where we will discuss the importance of stem cell typing. With an event in June, the European Patent Office would like to help sick people and suitable donors for stem cells to find each other. It has already successfully called for stem cell donations in previous years. Listen to colleagues whose lives were saved. My life was saved by a stem cell donation. My doctor told me that there is only one chance for survival left, and this would be a stem cell donation. I was getting nervous, but in the end, I was unbelievably lucky. They found three donors. The doctors uh, chose the most suitable one, and after intense pretreatment, I uh, received the new cells. I got uh, a very strong uh, chemotherapy, and it went better. But then I had a relapse. An American donor was found, and I got a uh, transplantation. But my last check visit, the new doctor said, "Oh, you are a wonder." Stem cell transplants can be life-saving for people with serious illnesses, like, for example, blood cancer. Our experts today are Jennifer Anderson, PR manager for DKMS, an international nonprofit donor center based in Cologne, Germany. Welcome, Jennifer. Hello. Thank you very much for having me today. And welcome, Aliki Niko Janapulu, director in biotechnology at the EPO. Hello, Sabine. I'm very happy and proud to be here today. And Andreas Böhm-Pelissier, who works for the EPO, has personal experience with stem cell typing. Welcome, Andreas. Hello, happy to be here today. Yeah, it was 10 years ago. Our son was six months old. Um, he was seriously sick and uh, gene analysis showed that he had a genetic defect, uh, so-called Viscott Aldrich syndrome. And this was really shocking for us because this meant that he had a life expectancy of only a few years and it was almost certain that he would develop blood cancer. And the only way to, to cure him was a stem cell transplant. So we tested our other three children. They fortunately had not the same gene defect, but they were also not eligible as stem cell donors. So the only option was a foreign donor. And it was really a chance that at that time the EPO organized together with the DKMS a stem cell typing campaign. So I tried to mobilize as many colleagues as possible. And finally, we found 700 people to be registered, but there was not a suitable donor among them. And also in parallel, we organized another campaign with another thousand registered people in our village. But again, a suitable donor could not be found. How did you feel in those days when there were these two attempts to find a suitable donor and uh, could not be found? How did you feel? We were really waiting, waiting every day for a positive reply. And it took a couple of weeks. And um, so all registered people worldwide were checked for their fit. And finally, we could find a match in Poland, a young Polish mother, just around Christmas at that time. And it was really a great Christmas present to found a suitable donor. And um, so we just waited that our son had his first birthday in February and we could then start 
with the transplantation. Were there any fears, concerns you had? Or have, did you feel very well informed about the next steps? Yeah, we fortunately had really experts for stem cell transplantation here in Munich. The most experienced and competent people in Europe beside Milano. And they really informed us in advance about every step. And we had a chance of about 90% of success. So there was nothing else than hope. And really, we stick to that. And it was a great feeling to see the progress every day. Mm -hmm. And in total, how long did it take until your son was better? So the whole procedure took almost a year. So we had six months of chemotherapy. Then we have the transplantation of the stem cells. And then there were another five, six months of recovery. And it was great to see that the first foreign cells grew in the blood formation system. And then the following year, he was completely recovered and it was a great Christmas present again. It was just if our son was, was newly born and the same for our children because they could not see and play with their brother for several months. They could meet him again at that time and it was really a great feeling and we are so, so grateful. Thank you, Andrea, so far. I think your story explains very well why stem cells typing is so important. How many donors do you need, Jennifer? Oh, we actually need as many donors as possible because what we're looking at when we're talking about blood stem cell donations is we need to find sort of a genetic twin. We need to find a perfect match. What we look at is the HLA characteristics, that's the tissue types, we also say. And these tissue characteristics tell our body whether a piece of it belongs to the body or not. So we need to find this perfect match. How often do you find this perfect match? The DKMS has been working since 1991. And within this time, we have given 105,000 second chances at life. So that's quite good. But there's still patients out there who don't find their perfect match. And that is something we are constantly working on. We are daily trying to find new donors because the more people are registered, the more perfect matches we can find because these characteristics that are important for the blood stem cell transplant, they occur in millions of combinations And they vary from person to person, but also within ethnicities. So background is important. And the more people are registered, the more people we can help. Are you a donor yourself? Yes, I am. And also, finally, I had registered with DKMS, I think, about eight years before I even got to work there. So when I saw the job ad, I knew what DKMS was and what they were doing. And um, I was immediately compelled to go work there. Our listeners might wonder why we need donors at all. Is there no way to cultivate suitable stem cells nowadays in a lab leaking? Uh, yes, you can cultivate stem cells in the lab, but you have to know culturing stem cells is a science in and on its own. 
Stem cell culture has three major drawbacks. The first shared drawback is that cells derived from a human or animal body and put into a culture dish, they are called primary cell cultures. They might, if you get really lucky, thrive and proliferate for a while, but this is finite. Eventually, they will stop proliferating and they will simply die. So for cells to be maintained in a so-called established cell culture, certain genetic events have to happen within the cell itself that trigger an indefinite proliferation so you can keep your cells in culture, feeding and splitting them and even freezing and thawing them um, at will. Now, these events happening within the cell are not unlike the genesis of cancer, right? Think unlimited and largely uncontrolled proliferation. Such established cell cultures transformed, as we say, to immortality are not suitable for transplanting into a patient. The second shared drawback is the fact that for cells to thrive in culture, you need to add certain factors in the culture medium that will mimic their natural environment and make them think that they never left the body they came from. So you need to keep them happy and prolific. So several of these factors are by now well-defined and industrialized in their production, but certain others remain available only in products derived from animal blood. So with putting these animal products into your cell culture, you run the risk of also introducing animal pathogens, right? So the last thing you want to do is give them a potentially pathogenic animal components. And what's your third point? The third drawback is proprietary to the stem cell cultures is the following. Stem cells are undifferentiating, meaning unspecialized cells that have the property to divide and give rise to more of their own kind, we call the self-renewal, and also divide to give rise to specialized progeny, their offspring, so to say, the workers, that will take on the function of the lineage they represent. So in our example, this would be hematopoietic, meaning blood stem cells, that divide to give rise to more stem cells or to cells of the blood that are needed in the patient. Now, stem cell culture, by default, will tend to differentiate cells rather than maintain them in their stem cell character, so that with time, your blood stem cell culture will consist of short-lived, specialized blood cells that can only offer the short-lived support that a blood transfusion can offer to a patient in need, but not the long-term recovery that Andreas's son profited from. So you see why we are dependent not just largely or desperately on fresh stem cells, but we are depending exclusively on stem cells freshly obtained from a donor at the point of care of our patient. Do you think that there will be uh, in the upcoming years a scientific solution? So where are we with that? There is indeed very fierce competition. And this is actually a prime example of the guiding principle that we serve, which is that patents are indeed a force for good in that they um, contribute to a safer, smarter, and we like to say more sustainable world. The field of stem cell transplantation encompasses four major technical achievements. One is the identification of the donor, which we heard uh, from Jennifer has to be a perfect match with the recipient. Uh, it's the preparation of the donor to make the cells as little invasively obtainable as possible. Then we have the preparation of the cells to be transplanted to the patient. And then we have the post-transplant care of the patient, right? These four areas, we see very, very active innovation in all four of those. And what is important to realize is that innovation in this field is incremental, meaning that researchers 
and clinicians, they build on existing knowledge to further optimize all these aspects that I listed above and, of course, increase the chances of vital success. So, yes, there is a lot of research and development in all these four areas. However, let's make it clear, we are only talking about optimizing the processes in obtaining stem cells from a donor and not from a culture. Thank you, Aliki. How does it feel if other people have saved your life? Let's listen to an EPO colleague who's received stem cell donations. I had to stay in the clinic for several weeks where I was kept alive by blood transfusions. But then my new cells took up their job and I could leave the clinic shortly before Christmas 2015. Nowadays, I lead a normal life. I work again as patent examiner in the European Patent Office. And my still to me unknown donor saved my life. If you also want to save a life, please put in a cotton swab and become a donor. Let's look back at the potential donors. So what I would like to know from you is who actually is suitable as a potential donor and who is not. What's the criteria, Jennifer? So at DKMS, anyone who is between the ages of 17 and 55 can sign up as a potential donor. You would need to be in good health. That means uh, you should not have any severe diseases such as cardiovascular diseases or cancer, obviously. You should live in Germany and you should not have signed up with any other database beforehand because in Germany there are... Yeah, can I ask you, Jennifer, so why is there actually an age limitation? Yeah, that's actually a good question. The older the donor, the lesser the outcome is of the stem cell transplant. So as long as the donor is very young, the transplanted stem cells, they grow quickly. Actually, they form a new immune system because with people who suffer from blood cancer, their blood-forming system doesn't work properly anymore. So they are getting this chemo that uh, Andreas already referred to, and uh, their immune system is shut down completely. Then the uh, cells from the donor arrive, and they um, are transfused into the body, they find their way into the bone marrow from which they produce a new immune system and from which they produce constantly new cells for the patient to thrive again and to be healthy again. You can sign up until you're 55 and you will stay on the database until you turn 61. And this is the cutoff when uh, we said uh, you should not be a donor anymore. So I would say in the case, if there are several donors with the same match, then always the, the youngest one is chosen. But in our case, there was only one single donor worldwide who was suitable. It's 37 years. It, I, think, I would say it was the perfect age because there were a lot of antibodies already in the blood, which was transfused. And our son was never sick and ill because he already received all these antibodies from his donor. And so far, we were really lucky to first find a suitable donor with all 10 tissue parameters matching. And this, I think, is very important to have a huge number of potential donors that you get first this 100% match, and then you can choose among different ages to get the youngest one. 
I would like to come back to one point, which is international cooperation. You can see it a bit like a worldwide system of solidarity. So let me take you to Germany as an example of how the system works. So in Germany, there are 26 donor centers who do exactly what we do. DKMS is by far um, the largest, but all our data, all the uh, tissue types that we determine, they go into the ZKRD. This is the German National Bone Marrow Donor Registry. It's like a central organ to collect the data. So if a person in need, and no matter whether they are in Germany or in the US or anywhere over the world, the German registry would receive this question. Now there's this patient, he or she needs a donor. Do you have one? And so the registry runs through and sees through all the data from Germany if there's a is a match. Let's say there was a match and let's say the patient was from the United States. So the central organ would find a DKMS donor. They would come back to us. They would say, now look, the donor with the number one, two, three is potentially a perfect match for patient Y in New York City. Could you please see if we can organize a transplant? In our history, we have sent transplants to 57 countries worldwide. We also have uh, seven entities all over the world. I can imagine that some people are afraid of uh, donating. Maybe perhaps there is a misunderstanding between a bone marrow donation and a blood stem cell donations. Can you explain the difference? The problem is the difference between going to the spinal cord or not. That is what we sometimes face. So there are two different ways of donating uh, blood stem cells. One, and we currently use this in about 90% of all cases, it's the peripheral stem cell collection. You get shots of a certain drug over the period of time of about five days. And what happens is that the number of stem cells in the peripheral blood is increased. The stem cells, they usually live in, uh, in the bone marrow of the pelvic bone. So your hip bone, if you want to put it, and this drug makes them come out into the, into the peripheral blood. So uh, on the day of the donation, you can just take them out from the blood. You have a needle in one arm and a needle in the other, and there's a machine in between that filters the stem cells. So this is the one option. To many people, that might sound a bit scary. How do you convince people to become potential donors? You get the chance to potentially save a life. And this is what many of our donors say. They say, see, we, I've had this bit of a hustle, but just sitting there for three, two hours made somebody else stay at life and not only make them happy, but also their family, their friends, their entire environment. So this is really what, what keeps us going. People wanting to help really sick people. But is there a serious risk for donors? Flu-like symptoms may occur during the administration of the drug. The second way to donate your stem cells is a bone marrow collection under general anesthesia. We currently do this in 10% of the cases. And in this, we take the stem cells out where they naturally occur in the pelvic bone. The bone marrow regenerates within a couple of weeks. And so you have the risk of general anesthesia as with every other operation and also a local soreness 
can occur for a few days. And with this method, the donor usually stays in hospital for about two to three days. As you mentioned, Jennifer, in 90%, it's just like a blood donation. So you just get a needle in and you stay a little bit longer than for normal blood donation. But it's a blood donation where you really save directly a life of a person and this really matters. It's minimally invasive, the, the removal of stem cells from the blood, and it is for such a good cause. And there is the entire scientific background on your side if you decide to do that. You are being taken excellent care of and you are saving somebody's life. It is complicated to explain. It sounds maybe a little bit overwhelming. It is not, as Andreas just said, it is not much more than a regular blood donation. The event at the EPO will take place on 30 June and we hope that many uh, staff and families will join in to this uh, stem cell typing event in the office. What exactly happens during a typing uh, session? Andreas, maybe uh, you have run previous exercises in the office and Jennifer, of course, you have much experience in that. So wh what does it look like in practice? It was much com more complicated 10 years ago. Now, uh, I think it's just on the mobile phone, you use an app for registering the personal data. And then it's just like a COVID test. You take a cut swab, you rub it in the mouth and it's only a few minutes all in all. Yeah, Jennifer, may you explain what then happens with the cotton swab? Yeah, I've, I have nothing else to add except for it's a lot nicer than the COVID swap because you don't have to put it in your nose. Oh, that's <laughs> a relief a, already. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cheek swab and you just go up and down in your cheek. The swabs get sent to our DKMS lab in Dresden where the tissue types are being determined. And usually after roughly four weeks, the data will be there and you will go on the registry and you will be eligible to be found as a donor for potentially any patient worldwide because we don't sign up for one specific patient only, but we sign up for anybody who is in need. The event will run in parallel also in The Hague on the 30th of June with your partner organization that is Matches in the Netherlands. If I understand you correctly, all these tests will go into that huge database you have of, I don't know, was it 11, 10 million potential donors worldwide? And from there, you will check. DKMS currently has 11.5 million registered donors worldwide, 7.4 million of which are in Germany. And exactly, there are many more uh, registrants all over the world with other databases and other donor centers. Ten years ago, we had already an event in Munich and almost 700 potential donors were registered. And finally, six out of them, they could save a life with a stem cell donation. Let's listen to why EPO colleagues registered and to what happened after their stem cells had been typed. I donated stem cells in 2016. I was contacted by DKMS and after very thorough medical checks, I was considered as a possible donor. The process took six hours. After the stem cell donation, I was informed that my donation went to a 57-year-old man in France who fully recovered after a couple of weeks. I'm very grateful that the process of stem cell donation is possible at all with the help of the inventions made in the medical field in the last years. I was contacted almost six years ago by the DKMS and they told me that I'm considered as a potential stem cell donor for someone. 
So it was very exciting for me in the beginning and I had to do some more tests and then indeed it was clear that I was allowed to donate my stem cells. Everything went very well and it was really also a great feeling to know that with this I could save someone's life. Aliki, let's look at the scientific challenges. Um, is there any alternative to searching the best uh, matching donor already? The answer to that is very simple, Sabine. No, there is not. The match between the donor and the recipient has to be perfect. And the reason is very simple. Uh, if it is not perfect, then either the um, immune system of the recipient will think that the transplanted material is a foreign invader and will attack it like it does with pathogens. Or the other way around, the donor might attack the recipient in what is called the graft versus host disease. This is something that has to be avoided at all costs and the only way to avoid it is to do the perfect matching beforehand. As we speak, patents in this area are filed and they affect all processes related to stem cell transplantation. And we have to say that we really marvel at what is being brought forward. All the efforts are clearly directed to ever-improved donor-recipient matching procedures, to ever-less-invasive harvesting processes, to ever-better stem cell preparations, and ever-milder treatment of the patients after the transplantation. Our son received a lot of different medication in order to avoid this defense reaction. And finally, it worked pretty well. And I think there was an enormous progress in medicine in the last 20 years, and especially the last 10 years. Because if the same situation would have happened to our son 20 years ago, I think the chances would have been much lower because the whole procedure and the medication was not developed at all. Andreas, on the 30th of June, the EPO will support the DKMS in Munich and its Dutch counterpart in The Hague matches to find suitable potential stem cell donors. Swaps are what you're looking for. So the more the better, and the better they can help people in need. Yeah, and it costs DKMS 40 euros for every new registered donor. So donations, money donations are also very welcome. We use most of them uh, to register new stem cell donors and to become even better in the field of finding the perfect match. So please all line up and have yourself typed. So thanks very much and uh, for listening to our podcast. Thanks very much for your contributions, Jennifer, Alike and Andreas. We hope, uh, dear listeners, that you've learned something new today and don't forget to tune in for our next episode. A few years ago, I made a donation of stem cells. The process was relatively simple and quick. I could actually go to work today after. So I can only recommend to register as a donor because saving a life can be so easy. It feels good to do good. I was lucky enough to be able to donate a bit of my marrow to save a life. If I had to do it again, I would not hesitate. I'm infinitely grateful to the donor who saved the life of our son. And I want to say, Thanks so much to all colleagues who registered in the previous event and who will register in the coming event on the 30th of June. Many thanks.
Subscribe to the European Patent Office's podcast channel, Talk Innovation, at epo.org or on your favourite podcast platform. Let's talk innovation.